You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. We're at CNU 24 here in the Detroit Opera House lobby. And I have who I think is perhaps like the star of this Congress <laughs> or the, the person that more people are showing up to see than anyone else. I've got the uh, Jeanette Sadikhan, the former uh, transportation commissioner from New York City. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, well, it's great to be here. It just shows that everybody likes a street fight. They do. They do like a street fight. And your new book is Street Fight. I I, I read it. I loved it. Uh, It is very uh, readable, very approachable. I want to start with the very first sentence. And I want to ask you uh, why you wanted to be the traffic commissioner of New York City. Well, as you know from that first sentence, I didn't want to be the traffic commissioner of New York City. I wanted to be the transportation commissioner for New York City. And when I went to interview with Mayor Bloomberg, um, we were sitting around the table, as interviews always go, and um, that was one of the first questions he asked me. And when I said I wanted to be transportation commissioner, not traffic commissioner, there was complete silence. <laughs> I lost around. this job. Exactly. <laughs> like, well, I got to meet the mayor. It wasn't a total loss. <laughs> Um, and I, but I kept going and talking about what I wanted to do in terms of making the streets safer and making it more inviting for people on foot and on bike and, and by bus. And I talked about things like congestion pricing, which were, you know, not exactly conventional at the time. Right. And they weren't that excited at the interview, which is why I thought I was never going to get the job yeah. because actually those ideas had been contained in the Plan YC initiative that the mayor was on the cusp of unveiling. And I think he didn't want to spoil that announcement. Sure. And so he didn't evidence any enthusiasm. Uh, but fortunately, um, the story turns out well. Yep. And you I were was, the, the right person for the job. It was really good timing. I yeah. mean, the, the mayor's vision uh, for where the city needed to go and how we were going to accommodate the million more people that were expected to move to New York City by, by 2030 um, really had profound implications for all aspects of government, but particularly how we used and organized our streets. You, you talk in that opening chapter about these kind of dueling uh, mindsets that sometimes paralyze our, our action. The, the, the one mindset being the mega project and the other mindset being the kind of rational, but yet, you know, d- difficult to deal with resistance of residents to, to almost anything. Mm-hmm. And those being like two very like polar opposite forces that make it hard to do stuff. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how like that as the starting point becomes the challenge for someone like you walking into a job like this? Well, absolutely. And there is a reason why our streets were in a kind of suspended animation for 50 years. You know, the, the, the expectations for what people, uh, wanted out of their streets, could have on their streets, um, had, had basically reduced to moving cars and, and big infrastructure investments. So it really, in a way, pitted a kind of Robert Moses approach mm-hmm. against a Jane Jacobs approach. Mm-hmm. And um, in the 21st century, you know, we can get beyond that very polarizing dynamic and look at 
um, a way to invest in our infrastructure that is not just about mega projects. It doesn't need to take billions of dollars to get things done. There's like potential hidden right now in our streets if we look at them a little differently and it doesn't take billions and it doesn't take decades. And so, you know, moving beyond the Robert Moses mega project, but also moving beyond the Jane Jacobs, not in my backyard, you know, we can't do anything different Re- with our resistance streets. Resistance to that. Yeah. Resistance um, to basically anything. Um, and so I think that's also been uh, a problem in the sense that we didn't create an agenda that communities could say yes to. And so that was a very big part of the program was moving quickly, creating an agenda that people could uh, say yes to, and, and moving with projects that, that people could see, touch, and feel, and then raise the expectations that they had for their streets. Suddenly, when we put out these very quick plaza programs and bike programs, um, people could say, oh, I see what you're talking about. Um, I want that in my backyard. I want that in my backyard. And that really dramatically changed the relationship that we had with communities. How difficult is it? In a, I think sometimes when people think of New York, government, they think of this, you know, you, we got Mitch Silver sitting over here, the head of a, a massive bureaucracy in New York, thousands of people. How do you get anything done? Um, how do you get something done in a huge system? I, I see people in much smaller bureaucracies who say, boy, we just can't get any traction. You had a, a, a much larger system, not only of people working for you, but also businesses and residents and all right. the things everybody has to deal with, right. you had it on a mega scale. Right. How does the approach that you're championing in this book help you deal with those dynamics? Well, we do have a city of 8.5 million people, 8.5 million very opinionated New Yorkers. <laughs> New Yorkers have opinions. <laughs> I, I, this is new to me. Yes. No, it did feel like it's at uh, different times that there were 8.5 million traffic engineers because hmm. people had very strong opinions about their streets, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and we had 4,500 people at the New York City Department of Transportation. One of the very first things that we did was uh, create a strategic plan outlining where the agency was going to go to deliver on the vision that Mayor Bloomberg outlined in Plan YC. Um, that long-range sustainability program had big implications for our streets. So looking at how we were going to move the, the big ship of a city agency in a new direction meant that we really needed to get everybody on board. And um, all of those employees participated in the creation of this plan, which was outlined how we could build better bus options for people, better biking options for people, better pedestrian plazas, safer streets. We, we have the safest streets in 100 years um, after Mike Bloomberg's administration. So, again, getting setting the vision, then actually using the data yeah. to follow up and, 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 and look at what, it, what the impact of these projects were. And we really went from streets that were governed by anecdote, like, Oh, I like this. I don't like this. And, right. you know, you could go to a reliably, you could go to a cab driver and say, what do you think of this? And they'd be yeah. Yeah. not saying very complimentary things. Right. And then we had the analysis. And so that actually went a, a long way to turn small business owners who were some of our biggest opponents into some of our biggest supporters. And so that whole vision, um, collecting the data and moving quickly to show what can be done, yeah. I think was key. And, you know, you take a look at an agency like Mitch Silver's at the New York City Parks Department and what he's done in a very short period of time 
with the Parks Without Borders, literally tearing down the walls, the fences of these parks, showing how quickly you can move to integrate public spaces into the fabric uh, of New York City. It's very inspiring to see what um, municipal leaders like Mitch and, and what leaders uh, across the country are now doing with this new operating code, uh, yeah. almost a new DNA for cities. You have a whole chapter about reading the street. And when I went through that chapter, I thought this is this feels very much like early CNU. I mean, early the Congress for the New Orleans was a lot about going out and what's the width of the sidewalk yeah. that actually helps people get down it. And what's can you talk just a little bit about th- that approach, the need to go out and measure things, and and why doing that kind of illuminates something different than just the code book that we're used yeah. to using? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, people really don't realize how much. Uh, asphalt there is to play with, yeah. right? There's literally cities trapped between the lanes. Yeah. And when you re- redo the math, right? We don't need 12-foot lanes. You can get away with 10-foot lanes, in some instances, 9-foot lanes. When you repurpose all that asphalt, you can build in new mobility like bus rapid transit lines, a cycling network, safer sidewalks, safer streets. And so doing the math of the street, I think, is, is really important and illuminating. Actually, friends of mine have said that it's almost ruined their marriage because people read the book and they're like, oh, look at this. We could do this at this intersection and this at this intersection. And like, <laughs> no, it sounds the, like my wife, like, will you stop talking yes, about exactly. This? Like yeah. these very boring dinner partners. Like, yeah. really, this is all I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, th- but there is that incredible, uh, I think people have not looked at, it doesn't take, you know, a new subway line. You don't have to have a new stadium. You don't, there are all sorts of opportunities you know, that are hidden in, in right in plain sight. If, if we kind of contrast the, the Robert Moses age and, and, and the mindset of we've got to build, like to be a successful commissioner, you have to have uh, under your, you know, your tenure, we opened a new rail line somewhere. Or we did this big, huge multi-million dollar project. Are, are we just in an era of America's evolution where the big changes are going to be at the block level and require a, a different mindset going in? You know, I think that transit is the future of this country, and we need to invest in uh, rapid transit wherever we can. It is certainly what makes New York City strong. Um, you can imagine what the city would be like uh, without a rapid transit system. Um, so I believe strongly in that kind of infrastructure investment. But we're in an era also of constrained resources. And, and we shouldn't wait around for the money that we need at the federal government, at the state government, in order to make some changes that we can do right here, right now. And this story is not just about a big city story. The the book goes through the kinds of interventions that cities of any kind of size can use. When you think about New York City, you know, like Staten Island, not so different from, you know. Sure. Detroit, Michigan. Right, right. And so, you know, it's, you have to look opportunistically and you have to also tailor the strategies to meet the, the local needs. And so Detroit here under Mayor Duggan is really investing in, in transit, um, not only in the downtown area, but looking at how can we create a more um, uh, mobile society, 20-minute neighborhoods. How do we create bus rapid transit lines on that radial network to, to make it work uh, better here? So I think there are lots of different kinds of lessons. And I think that the major infrastructure investments can be married to some of the smaller interventions and really unlock the potential of cities. And, you know, half the world lives in cities today, and 80% are expected to be there by by, uh, 2050. So the kinds of interventions we make now 
um, are incredibly important for the future of the planet. You have a, a chapter called Follow the Footsteps. Yes. And I, I love it. It was probably my favorite chapter. You, 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 when engineers come in, we have code books yeah. and manuals and, you know, they seem to have been written in stone back in, you know, Moses' time. <laughs> they were. They were, right. <laughs> and, and handed, you know, bequeathed to us and we're not to question them. Yes. You know, there's obviously a lot of stuff that comes with this. How much um, are you calling on people to be humble? to go out and actually follow the footsteps. And can you talk just a little bit about what you mean by follow, follow the, the footsteps, footsteps and, and why that's an important well, design tool that maybe is not in the toolbox of, of most engineers? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. It was a very important part of what we did. And, and you can actually see the future of your city by looking at the trampled grass yeah. and where people are crossing. I mean, that's, those are all signs of where people have kind of fallen through the cracks. And so we actually did that in, in all across the city and, and literally looked where the problem areas were and then followed the people and, and then redid our street designs to accommodate where they wanted to go. And so we did that in places like, you know, between 51st and 59th Street, between 6th and 7th Avenue, where people would cross mid-block instead of walking all the way to the intersection. So we created six and a half avenue and, you know, nine blocks of this interconnected, you know, alleyway, which was great. But it, we did this in, you know, Staten Island on bus stops. We did it in the Bronx and Queens and literally just followed the people. And, and you can see the outline of the city you need to build in looking at the trampled grass and at the crossings, you know, that are right there today. And so part of it is also looking at where the problems are, right? And so we right. did a, the largest traffic study in the United States 7,000 crashes, looked at the, where the problems were, and that became uh, our Rosetta Stone for investment. And so the who, the what, the why, the when, the where of these traffic crashes really guided all of our infrastructure improvement uh, projects. And so, again, that was following the footsteps, following the problem, and then um, fixing, you know, what had been, you know, huge issue um, uh, that had been so yes, I, I want to show you my. This is this is in exactly. my hometown. Exactly. What would you say to my engineer there? I, I mean, would say follow the footsteps. <laughs> I would say, look, this is a problem They've, that you can solve. Right. They literally uh, went and redid the road. You know, multi-million dollar project. Redid this road. It's it's incredibly wide, and uh, I like you know look yes, maybe there's is, people there. Yes, this is the outline. Yeah. The, you know, people have actually given the outline for yeah. What, what, yeah. what the project needs to be. <laughs> can you can you tell the story of Times Square. It, it, it is one that I, I know and I know others know, but I think it would be good for our listeners to hear from you the, the, the brief story of, of sure. Times Square. Sure. So a lot of people have been to Times Square. Iconic place. Yes. Iconic place, crossroads of the world. Um, but it was really more known as a big traffic jam. Right. Um, and it was very, very crowded. You know, in Times Square, we had 350,000 people that walked through Times Square every day. And yet... They were 90% of the traffic, but they only had 10% of the space. And so what would happen is, you know, people would jump into the street to try to, to get around. You know, the people that were actually walking four people abreast and looking up at the wonderful things, the billboards in Times Square. But so New Yorkers who are crazy wanted to get by very, right. very quickly. We would right. go insane when we would see people like walking like this. And so yeah. we would go into the street. So it was very dangerous. And actually, Times Square was um, underperforming economically uh, as, a, as a retail district. Which is crazy right. to think of, right? right? there. Yeah. So, I mean, it really was this tangle of traffic. And when you think about it, 
um, Manhattan is on a grid, north, south, east, west. And Broadway is the only street that cuts diagonally through that grid. And it does great things. It creates these different plazas. Um, but it also creates these hot spots of congestion. And people had tried for years to fix it. Slip lanes, signal changes, all the like. All, all, the, all the traffic tricks. All the, all the right, conventional tricks. Yeah. And so I went to Mayor Bloomberg with this idea. How about if we close Broadway from 42nd to 47th Street? <laughs> Are you insane? <laughs> yeah. That was pretty much his reaction. R- right. And right. Um, particularly since I was suggesting that we do this in, a, in an election year when uh-huh. he was on a, a yeah. re-election. Uh-huh. But we would restore the grid by doing it that way, right? Because Broadway then would be, you know, restored north, south, east, west. And we would do it as a pilot program. I said, we will test it. We'll see if it works. We'll measure it. And, and if it works, we'll keep it. And if it doesn't work, we'll put it back to the way that it was. And it's a really strong message for other cities to try it, yeah. you know? And you can't argue that your streets are perfect, so you can't try anything. And so, again, trying and measuring, experimenting, that was really a big part of also Mike Bloomberg's DNA. He's all about trying. He's sort of innovation as usual instead of business as usual. So he was, you know, the we went around the table, that same table where I interviewed for the first time for the job, and yeah. went around and asked all the deputy mayors, what did they think about this idea? Let's just say not everybody thought that that was such a great <laughs> idea at the time. And uh, so, but he turned to me and he said, you know, I don't ask my commissioners to do the right thing according to the political calendar. I ask my commissioners to do the right thing, period. And he shook my hand just like this and he said, let's do it. Let's do it. And so we did it. And we did it over uh, Memorial Day. We closed it and uh, put up all the barrels, two and a half acres of new public space. Um, and we, we measured it over six months. And I will never forget the night before we put the, uh, when we put the barrels up, we suddenly looked out and there was this expanse of asphalt. And we realized we didn't have anything there. What were we going to do? That's terrible. Yeah. So we went to discount hardware store and bought beach <laughs> bought chairs. chairs. <laughs> you know, ten ninety nine beach chairs. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And we put those this beach is New chairs York City, out. And here's beach. and here's the beach chair. Yeah. Beach chairs were king. We put them out, and that next morning, everybody was out in the beach chairs. And yeah. you know, the the media was all about the beach chairs. Uh-huh. You know, they didn't talk about the fact that we closed Times Square to cars. They talked about the beach chairs. Did you like the beach chairs? Yeah. The color of the beach chairs. Yeah. You know, and that was that was <laughs> what? so. So in your <laughs> hometown when you are looking on those big projects yeah. you just got to go buy some beach go chairs some... throw them all out yeah, that will be yeah. you know the story that people cover <laughs> and it was a huge home run you know much better for safety motorist injuries down 63 percent pedestrian agents injuries down 35 percent economic bus- blockbuster became one of the top 10 retail locations on the planet yeah, yeah you know and traffic moved better than it even did before is that crazy and yeah. we did that because we measured we had GPS devices in all 13,000 yellow caps. We collected 1.1 million records, and we were able to show, actually, that we can make this grid work better, and you can organize your streets better. So it just really underscores that it's not a zero-sum game between people and plazas and bike lanes and cars. You know, It's just about better balancing your streets. They can be used for more than just moving cars. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to challenge you a little bit. Oh, good. Um, because, well, I, it's a it's a beautiful story, and I'm in I'm in love with it. But I I know that there are people who are listening, who are going to say, okay, this is New York City. It's like one of the most unique places in North America. My city is not New York. In fact, I can tell you, I've been to places and I've talked about Times Square as a as a, as something to you know as a as an inspiration point for people. And they'll say, yeah, but we're not New York. 
What, what would you say to people around the country in, you know, much smaller cities right. who say, okay, these are great lessons for New York, but how is this a lesson for me? How, right. how, how does this translate to my town? Well, first of all, I love the idea that people say we're not New York. Yeah. Because, you know, when, when I was commissioner, people would say to me in New Yorkers, well, we're not Amsterdam and we're not Copenhagen, right? <laughs> so we can't do these kinds of changes. And now right. it's like, we're not New York, which I think is, you know, a success. It's awesome. Right. <laughs> it's you're a success. The, you're, you're the yardstick by which we're measuring <laughs> right. now. So that's changed. But, but the piece that is really interesting is that you've got cities all over the country that are looking at the Times Square model, not as Times Square, we don't have 350,000 people, or now 450,000 people going through Times Square. We're much smaller. The idea, though, is experimenting and trying things, mm-hmm. right? And, and really, you can paint the city you want to see and see how it works. I was in Ottawa recently, and they are looking at, at uh, taking the cars out of Bywood Market, not a Times Square, but a Times Square-like treatment. So again, inviting people back to their streets, you know, creating better streets is much better for business. I mean, when we did the Times Square piece, we saw that you know retail sales soared. That also happened with our bus rapid transit lines. That also happened with our protected bike lanes, where we saw retail sales go up fifty percent. And I think that the essence of it is is that. You know, cars don't shop, people do. So how do we create an invitation to bring people back to their streets? It doesn't matter what size your city is. It doesn't matter, you know, the shape. And, you know, New York City is a very big city. It's not all about midtown Manhattan. Right. 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 It, we have communities not unlike yours, not like un, uh, communities all across the country. Take a look at Staten Island. Take a look at, you know, the outer Queens. Yeah. You know, Brooklyn. Very different communities of all different sizes. And so again, you can take these lessons, you know, these innovations, try it, experiment. If you see something that works in another city that you think might work on your streets, try it. It doesn't have to take a lot of money. I mean, all of the projects that we did, all of the plaza and bike projects that we did in New York City, less than one half of 1% of our capital budget, right? right? You can literally just change your streets with paint and planters you know, and stones from old projects, you know, it's, and I think that's the important piece. This, this is something everyone can do. Everyone can do. And we started with the streets that we had and the budget that we had, yeah. you know, this, this wasn't like an extraordinarily new, um, uh, slush fund of money that we, we brought to do this. And that's, I think the lesson for so many different cities now is just take those traditional materials, use them in different ways and experiment. And what we found at the end of the Bloomberg administration is that these changes were really popular. Right. You know, 73% support for bike share, 72% support for plazas, 64% support for bike lanes. Um, Which is crazy because it was literally a street fight. It literally was. And now we actually have a new status quo on the streets of New York. And now people's expectations have changed. And so we have community after community demanding these kinds of changes. Uh And so again, by... I, I love watching Broadway expand. Yes. Right? Yeah. No, you're seeing that and the and the um the next administration is building on those changes. Mm-hmm. You know, the bike share system is expanding, bike lanes are expanding, the plazas are expanding. And so I think part of it is that these programs are so popular. You know, the people and the uh, are so far ahead of the press and the politicians when it comes to what they want to see on their streets. Yeah. Yeah. I I've got I have one more question for you, but I do want to uh, we have got quite a crowd that has gathered here now. <sighs> if 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 there's one or two like respectful questions, she's tough. She can handle whatever, but <laughs> I'm not. I'm a Minnesotan. I demand that everybody be nice and respectful. If there's one or two respectful questions, you can come back up here and and I'll give you a chance to answer those. But I I want to. I have one more question for you. I, yeah. I 
there are a lot of people to who you now are a, a hero in a sense. I, I know, I'm sure you don't no. maybe appreciate that to the degree, but there's there's a lot of people who are working in their jobs as a as a planner, as an engineer, as a you know government official, serving the public, wanting to make change, and they're looking at the success that you had, saying you know how how do I do this? Like what it, it seems so overwhelming to me. Where do I start? And I know a part of it is that you had great leadership that kind of had your back. Yep. But beyond that, and maybe there isn't a beyond that, but I'm going to ask you if there is. Beyond that, what would be your advice to the the, the person working in Omaha who you know, reads your book and is inspired or the, the the person in, you know, Tallahassee who wants to do this? What how would you you tell that person to get started? Well, I think you know, having a strategy for what you're trying to accomplish is really key so that you're not just doing these kinds of one-off projects that don't relate to a larger vision of where you're trying to go. Yeah. And so I think that's really important. The other thing is to, to experiment and to try things. You know, one of the things that we found is that people, you know, we, we've spent decades going through planning studies that take forever and people, computer models that people can't really relate to. And so to be able to show the change in real time on your streets is really important. Changing the use of that street is key. And, and again, the experimentation um, is a very important part of it. And the thing that's great about these kinds of strategies is for most cities, a capital construction program takes five years start to finish, right? right? That's right. beyond a mayoral term. Right. And we are seeing the innovation that's flowering on the streets of this country at the mayoral level, yeah. you know, mayors, yeah. mayors get are it. pushing the agenda. Mayors yeah. are pushing the agenda. And so when you can come up with projects that can happen within the four year term of a mayor, that is very sexy. Yeah. And so <laughs> right, working right. on showing the city that you want to see, literally outlining the city that you want to see, doing it quickly doesn't cost a lot of money. And you can reduce the anxiety of change by saying that you're going to measure it and see if the, if it works, look at the impact. And if it works, you keep it. And if not, you put it back. It's a really great um, approach. Low stakes. Lower the stakes for people. Low, lower the stakes. And, and the, the uh, guidelines have actually changed for cities. We saw a lot of uh, leaders not wanting to try some of those things because they weren't authorized in the MUTCD, the Manual on Uniform yep. Traffic Control Devices, or the Ashto Green Book. Now the National Association of City Transportation Officials has created the new Urban Street Design Guide, right. which actually outlines what you can do on your streets. It's been endorsed by the U.S. Department of Transportation. So planners and leaders no longer need to worry about liability concerns or that they won't get federal funding by <clears throat> following the new operating code that you're seeing so many cities adopt. Right, right. Did anybody, do any of you have, go ahead, step up here. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you don't mind. No, you can use that mic there. H hang on one sec, though. I got to, oh, I tell you what, come back over to my side. <laughs> that mic's not working for some reason. Here, go ahead. <laughs> Hi, Jeanette. Thank you for all the work you've done and sharing that with us in your book. Um, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. We are not Manhattan. Um, and we have a mayor who is not leading a progressive agenda in any kind of way in transportation. He would like to continue reengineering the city in the mold of the suburbs. Uh, we have a DOT that is not really responsive when we come to them and say, we'd like to turn this street into a two-way street. Uh, we'd like to put this street on a road diet. 
what would you say is a good way to engage those people who might be resistant and kind of bring them around and try and help uh, change their minds? Can we bring them information? Is that the best way? Yeah. Is it to show them examples that work? What What can we do to help <clears throat> that? That's a really great question. It is a good question. Yeah. And it's not, you know, the street fight is not just about here's what you do if you're in midtown Manhattan, right? It's really about what cities of all sizes um, can do to make their streets better. A large part of the success in New York also happened thanks to the work of the advocacy groups um, in the city. So transportation alternatives, Strapanger's campaign, a lot of people who had come together for a very long time um, that were passionate about their streets and wanted to see them work differently. So I think working with advocates is a really important way to push this new agenda. The other piece is I do think you're, it's a really good point about bringing people you know, to the city to see what the possibilities are. Um, that you've got right there. And the National Association of City Transportation Officials, NACTO, has affiliate membership. And so, you know, working with the NACTO team, you know, to do a charrette in Cincinnati and actually highlight some of the potentials that are there and, you know, and play around with it, do a visualization about here's where it is, here's what it could be, really can build excitement around, you know, uh, the business community, um, uh, local stakeholders that then can help push that envelope at the municipal level. Go ahead. Come on up. Step up here. One more, one more question, if you don't mind. Hi there. From Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, and great my, city, my Peter. My understanding, I, I apologize because I believe you were speaking there a month or two ago and I, I missed it. I knew it was happening, but I, the date went by. Um, Vancouver has taken a very aggressive, and in my mind, a very exciting approach to bike lanes. Like They're just putting them in. Mm-hmm. They're meeting with some resistance at that stage, but the resistance is slowly evolving. Do you see Vancouver as having done a pretty dynamic and pretty sudden hit? Like, is that an unusual pace of bike lane construction from what you've seen? I think it's a terrific uh, uh, implementation plan that they are moving forward with. I think that, that people in Vancouver, the leadership understands that they need to build in more mobility options, right? That, that, that uh, a good city starts with building good bike lanes. Right, and so you're seeing that all over the city. I think that building more on the transit side is going to be the challenge for Vancouver, and we saw what just happened on that ballot referendum. But I think that you're seeing Vancouver is almost the green dragon of sustainability, and it's really exciting to see it continue to lead the way uh, in Canada and and also globally about what the investment strategy is to ensure that uh, Vancouver continues to grow and thrive you know, in the decades to come. I got to say, I had some chills when I imagined uh, Mayor Michael Bloomberg whispering in your ear, don't, don't F it up. (laughs) (laughs) Talk just a little bit about that as a final thought. Because you didn't F it up. You did a great job. No, no. But it was so funny because, you know, you're very excited. It's the the press conference. You're being announced. You you feel like this exalted time, like, hey, affirmation for me. You know, and I outlined, (laughs) I I spoke at the press conference. I thought I did a good job. We were all excited about it. And so then I stepped down from the podium in this blue room, this ornate, almost like the Detroit Opera House, beautiful yeah. room. And the mayor turns to me and he whispers and he says, don't f*** it up. Right. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, don't f*** it up. And so I was very, you know, uh, uh, kind of embarrassed. And, and I didn't talk to anybody about it. Yeah. Right. But then I found out about six months later when I actually confessed to somebody that he'd said, don't f*** it up to me. That yeah. Actually, he said that to everyone. Right, right. He said that right. to all the commissioners, which yeah. made me feel a little bit better. But yeah. I think um, 
he was certainly um, a criti- he was critical to the success um, that we saw in New York City, and I think that kind of leadership and vision. Um, it's wonderful to see, particularly at a time where, you know, you're not seeing that a lot at the federal and state level. And I think, you know, mayors and cities are really the future of the planet. Thank you. Jeanette Sadekhan, the book is Street Fight. Let's uh, round of applause, please. <laughs> we all uh, are, are so happy that you're here at CNU. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, the city! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21.